Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was a kid and growing up, monster movies were scary. Scary movies that featured scary monsters. Monsters like Godzilla, Frankenstein, King Kong. I did a little uh, research this week and I, I Googled, you know, because that's what you do. I didn't go, I went to, li- I could say I went to the library and Googled. No, I just did it on my laptop. I Googled the scariest movies. And uh, it turns out Entertainment Weekly published an article last October listing the 25 uh, best monster movies. The, t- the list tops with uh, Godzilla, The Bride of Frankenstein, Frankenstein. I guess The Bride is a little scarier than, or better than Frankenstein. <laughs> Not my list, folks. And King Kong were the top four best monster movies of all time. I would have given you the top five, but the fifth on their list was Jaws. And I just can't buy a big shark as being a monster. I mean, scary, yes. A monster, I mean, I guess King Kong's just a big monkey. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, so I had never heard of some of the movies on the list but there were two more that I agreed with, um, the, the Fly and the Creature from the Black Lagoon. They both uh, were in the top 11. Now, when my kids were little, Disney and uh, Pixar and DreamWorks got in the monster movie-making business, as if they had any business there. Is anybody really afraid of Shrek? How about those dragons and how to train your dragon? They don't even, right, one of them can't even shoot fire, I don't think, if I remember. I fall asleep, so I, I look at, right? Isn't that what happens? I don't know. How about Beauty and the Beast? Was the Beast actually scary? I mean, he danced and was romantic. I don't know, I don't know. And then there was that movie, Monsters, Inc. Yeah, a movie about monsters trying to scare children in order to generate electricity or energy for their city, Monstropolis. Now, I don't want to spoil the plot for you, but it did come out in 2001. So if you haven't gotten around to watching it by now, it's your own fault. So the, the, uh, ironically, this movie is about a wayward child, a little girl who gets nicknamed Boo, who wanders into, crosses the threshold from the human world into the monster's world and creates havoc and much fear amongst the monsters who don't understand this little girl. It seems uh, as though those things that are new to us, those things or people that we don't understand quite often create fear in us. We see that happening in our gospel reading this morning from the fifth chapter of Mark as we read about this garrison demoniac. Now our reading comes after last week's reading from Mark chapter two. You remember those seemingly disjointed stories that we read together, the, the, the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof as they, his friends dug a hole, the calling of Levi, the tax collector, to become a disciple, Jesus referring to himself as a bridegroom, 
as the justification for why his disciples don't fast. We skipped Mark chapter 4, which was in the lectionary, but we made some adjustments. And in Mark chapter 4, if we had read it, um, the chapter that precedes our reading this morning, we would have read of parables about the kingdom of heaven being compared to seeds. Those seeds that were thrown or sown on rocky soil, those seeds that were sown on good soil, as well as the mustard seed, the story of the mustard seed. Chapter 4 concludes with the story of Jesus and his disciples getting in a boat and crossing from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And in the middle of their, their crossing, a storm picks up and the waves start to crash and the wind is blowing and the disciples, many of whom had been fishermen who had actually fished on that sea, were afraid. And so they woke Jesus up, who apparently wasn't afraid because he was napping in the bow of the boat. And they asked Jesus to help them. And by the sound of his voice, Jesus was able to calm the wind and the waves and then ask his disciples why they have so little faith. Our reading begins with them then arriving on the other side of the sea. In chapter 4, we know they left in the afternoon, and we know that they had been buffeted by waves and wind, so it is likely when they arrived, it's after dark. And you know what happens after dark? Monsters come out. So it was no doubt scary when they made landfall, and immediately after they stepped off the boat, the man came out of the tombs with the unclean spirit and met Jesus. Talk about scary. And this man not only lived among the dead, which would have made him ritually unclean, but he was also inhabited by unclean spirits. Talk about scary. This guy made Levi, the tax collector, look like a model citizen and a desirable dinner guest in comparison. But it wasn't just some run-of-the-mill spirit possession. This man was inhabited by a legion of spirits. A legion of spirits, a Roman legion, was consisted of 6,000 men. And they could not be contained, at least not by any normal human restraints like shackles or chains. This man was so desperate to, to deal with these spirits that were inside of him that he bruised himself with stones as he howled in the mountains. And this man, when he saw Jesus come to shore, he ran to him, and he bowed down before him. How the demons would have allowed the man to do this, I don't know. I don't know if they suffered from some sort of inflated sense of invulnerability, so they weren't concerned about allowing this man in whom they lived to rush to Jesus and ask Jesus for help. For me, it's like, you know, every monster movie has that scene where you're like, really? Why didn't you run the other way? Why didn't you pick up the phone and call for help? What made you think you could defeat the monster that killed everybody else in your house or in your family or in your club or in the car or in the boat or whatever it was? And yet, for some reason, the legion of demons allowed the man to run to Jesus. 
And there we begin to see this negotiation of sorts between the, the demons and Jesus. It's a sort of a power meets power kind of a move. And uh, by beginning their negotiation, the, the demons demonstrate to us who Jesus is. Who Jesus is, and that's been a theme so far. I mean, we're in the third Sunday after Epiphany, but the season of Epiphany is about the revelation or the revealing of who Jesus is. And already in Mark's gospel, we've seen Jesus being baptized by John, tempted by the devil in the, in the wilderness. We've seen him healing the sick, exercising demons, challenging the Pharisees, and speaking in parables, and who is this man who even commands the winds and the waves? The wind and the waves. That probably makes more sense. Mark is quickly revealing to us who Jesus is during this epiphany season. And he's doing it quickly because in Mark's gospel, everything happens quickly, immediately. Well, the spirits apparently already know who Jesus is because they refer to him by name in a show of respect or at least as an opportunity for us to know who Jesus is. They said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Talk about respect. Maybe they're just trying to butter Jesus up. But in doing so, they reveal to us who Jesus is. And if even the demons know who Jesus is, we have no excuse. Why do we pretend to not know who Jesus is if even the demons can call him by name? And then they began to negotiate. And they negotiate, and in so doing, they further reveal the power and authority of who Jesus is when Jesus commands that they come out of this man and they go into this herd of swine. They have gone from one ritually unclean host to another. Recently, some scholars have have questioned, why would Jesus need to do this? Why would he need to to invite those unclean spirits from that man into that perfectly good herd of bacon? that finds its way floating in the sea. Well, understand that Jesus was Jewish. I mean, unless you're in Bill's class and maybe it's up for debate. (laughs) But as a Jew, the, the law said that pigs were unclean. So to Jesus' original audience, it would have been no big deal to have all those pigs go drowning in the sea, and maybe it would have even been preferred. So when we get excited about how much money that must have cost, how much is bacon a pound these days? And there are 2,000 swine and all of that pork just floating in Galilee, in the Sea of Galilee. Remember that for Jesus and the Jews who... He was surrounding himself. Here he was not among the Jews and he was in Gentile territory. They wouldn't have seen it as a problem as we might see it today. Which is just a reminder that we need to to take into account the context in which Jesus is speaking and, and, and the context in which he is providing healings and other things before we try to make it make sense in our context today. 
but I digress. In the final scene of our monster story here, the swine herds have told the city and the country what Jesus has done. They have seen for themselves that the man who had essentially been an inhuman because of his demon possession, he hadn't been able to live in community. He hadn't been able to live as a normal human as he howled at, at night. This man was now in his right mind. He was dressed. He was sitting there. They recognized him. And we read that they were afraid. They were afraid. This is the first time that that word appears in our story. We read that the disciples were afraid back in chapter 4. They were afraid of the wind and the waves. But nobody has talked about being afraid of this man who's been possessed by a legion of demons who lives in the cemetery. Nothing to fear there, folks. And then when they come out and they see that Jesus has healed them, that's when they get a little bit nervous? Really? Jesus has just healed this man. He's taken him from being unclean, no, not a part of the community, living in the cemetery. And it healed him, made him well, helped him get some clothes on so that he might return into to community. He might participate in their community, go back and live among his friends and his family. It seems like you might want to poke around and go, well, that's pretty cool. I got some stuff I could use healing myself. How do you do that? But no, the people were afraid. And what did they do? They begged Jesus to leave. Go away from us. We don't want any of what you're selling. Terrifying to think that somebody would show up and offer to heal you. Nope, I don't need any of that. I'm good. <laughs> they were afraid. And they begged Jesus to leave. You see, if Jesus had stayed, things might have changed. And who would want things to change? Heaven forbid. But one man, one man wanted to go with Jesus. And that's the man who the people from the city and the country recognize as being the man who had been possessed by the demon, who was now sitting there fully clothed, looking like a human. And he begged Jesus, let me go with you. Can't I go with you? I want more of what, what it is you're offering. I need more of this healing. I want to know more about you. I want to be in relationship with you. And to that man, Jesus says, no, go home. Go to your friends, restored, healed, renewed, and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Tell them of the mercy that you have received. Go. As, as a sharer of the good news, go and tell people what you have experienced, where you have been, where you have come from, and who it is who, who brought you this new life. It's a scary story, no doubt. It's a scary story for those who saw what Jesus did and didn't want to change. Change is scary. 
It's a scary story for the man who wanted nothing more than to be able to go with Jesus to be told, no, what you actually need to do is to go and share the good news of all that I have done for you. My friends, the healing that this this man who had been possessed by demons received is the same healing we receive at the table where our sins are forgiven, where we are made whole, where we are offered new life through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So my question to you this morning, do you come with fear? Do you leave this table having been made known or made whole? Do you leave in fear? How do you respond? Do you say, Jesus, get away from me? That's scary, this whole thing you're offering, new life and being changed. Or do you say, Jesus, I want to go with you, but don't make me go back out into that world. Or do you go back into the world, refreshed, made new, prepared to share the good news of God's love and to tell everybody what the Lord has done for you? I guess the question is, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Amen.